0: I wasn't going to go toe-to-toe with the CEO, Bill Gates, that guy. I wasn't going to go toe-to-toe with him on some of the things that he wanted to do that I didn't think we could get done in that time frame. And so I would give the VP, the SVP and the president, I would give them the data. I would let them fight that fight because it just wasn't, you know, I could say it, but who was I? So it was just more (laughs) effective if they said it.
2: Hey, everybody, Jason Patria here and you are listening to the lead with your brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, I cannot believe it is already March, which means it's Women's History Month. And we are celebrating here at the lead with your brand podcast with our special page, women on brand, where we are showcasing and celebrating amazing business leaders who just happen to be women. Go ahead and check out all of the excitement on leadwithyourbrand.com slash women on brand, where you will see all of our fabulous guests over the past three seasons. And speaking of amazing women, my guest today is Rebecca Norlander, who is the global head and vice president of personal systems software engineering at HP. But before we get to Rebecca, I want to talk about being here on March 1st, because I don't know about you, but the year is flying by. But guess what, people? We are over eight weeks into the year. We are already coming to the end of the quarter in just 30 days, and you're probably sitting there thinking, Heck, I just got my business goals and objectives from my manager that got cascaded down. Well, while that may be true in the corporate space, that's not an excuse for you to not be on track and on plan for your career goals and objectives. Now, don't fret. I know that I am like you. I still have things that are on post-its all over and things that I said, you know what? I'm gonna get that done the first week of January that's gonna help launch me to this next phase of my career and my business. And you know what? I haven't gotten to all of those things. Heck, I haven't gotten to most of those things. But you know what? We're not going to beat ourselves up for that because we can't control the past and we can't change the past. What we can change and control is what we do in the future. So here's what your challenge is. I want you this week Right here, right now, I want you to put pen to paper and say, what is it that you are going to do over the next 30 days that is going to help you lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough? So let me give you some great thoughts. If you have not been interacting with some of your key stakeholders or some of those folks in your career audience that are big influencers, you know what? I want you to take five minutes right now. Go into your outlook. I want you to send them a 15 minute meeting invite to just say you want to catch up because you want some of their advice, insights and recommendations on a project you're working on. That could get you to that next spot. If you told yourself at the end of the year, Hey, I want to be on this stretch assignment, or I want to be working on this cool project, I want you to hit the pause button right now and reevaluate. Go back to those goals and objectives that have just been rolled out through corporate, down to your boss and your division. What are those projects? How did they land? And have you raised your hand? Now's a great time to raise your hand and say, hey, you know what? I'd like to take a stab at that work. Hey, you know what? I'd like to be on that project team. Heck, maybe you would even like to lead a project team and I want you to articulate why. I want you to share, hey, here's some of the talents and skills I'd love to bring to it. And here's some of the talents and skills that I'm looking to acquire by doing it and demonstrating why you are passionate about doing it. Throw your hat in the ring. You've got nothing to lose. As one of my old great bosses said, you don't get what you don't for. And finally, go ahead and put some pen to paper if you haven't thought about what you want to do for the year. That's right. I want you to sit down. If you haven't put pen to paper to think about where you want to be on December 31st, now is a great time to do it. You know what the great thing about plans are? You are in control and you can choose. But you know what happens when you don't have a plan? You're wandering aimlessly. So I want you to ask yourself on December 31st, when you are getting ready to pop that bottle of champagne and celebrate the new year, what will you have achieved this year in terms of your career and what will be that career breakthrough for you? Well, we've got an amazing show today. I've got Rebecca Norlander, who is the Global Head and Vice President of Personal Systems Software Engineering at HP. Now, Rebecca has worldwide responsibility for the PS Software Strategy, as well as the PS Software Engineering Center of Excellence. With her guidance, the Personal Systems Software team is responsible for developing meaningful customer experiences that amaze and delight across. HP Personal Computing Devices. Now, prior to joining HP, Rebecca was the CEO and co-founder of Health123, a Seattle-based healthcare IT company, and she previously spent almost 20 years at Microsoft. We'll be back in just a few moments with Rebecca Norlander.
1: And we are
2: back. I have a fabulous guest with me today. It is Rebecca Norlander, the Global Head and Vice President of Personal Systems Software Engineering at HP Inc. Rebecca, what is going on?
0: Hey, Jason. I'm so delighted to be here. Not a lot's going on. I'm sitting in my virtual office, well, my home office uh, for the seems like the thousandth day in a row. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's Friday. Thank goodness. We already got that one out of the way almost the end of the week. And I'm looking forward to your questions.
2: Well, let's dive right in, Rebecca. So first off, I have to ask you, when you first meet people, how do you describe to them what it is that you do and who you are?
0: I usually give them my name and I tell them that I work in software. Ooh. It depends if, you know, on the street, like an average person, I would say, oh, hi. Yeah, my name is Rebecca. It's great to meet you. And I work in the software industry or I'm a software nerd. Um, If it's in a professional setting, I will typically uh, give my full name and I will use at least part of my title. Um, So and then if I'm uh, really feeling it, I'll say that, uh, you know, I'm Rebecca Norlander and I am global head of software at HP, uh, but I am ultimately the software sorceress for the company.
2: Ooh, so. I love that. The software sorceress. <laughs> so you're a software nerd and you're a software sorceress. Absolutely. So, so Rebecca, sh- share with us for, for those of us that aren't as cool and techy as mm-hmm. you, wh- what does it mean to, to oversee and run software for a big organization like HP?
0: Sure. Um, well, first of all, I have to tell you, most people would not describe us as cool. Um, and so that's, that's the first thing that you have to embrace is that, uh, you know, being cool is a relative thing. And um, I do love software and technology. So what does it mean to me to uh, to be in charge of a large organization? Well, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, and I certainly love it. But I also take it very seriously. I think of myself as as the person who goes out front, whether you want to think about that as an icebreaker or, you know, I had just said software sorceress. So maybe the person that charges ahead, sometimes uh, smartly and and sometimes <laughs> less so, <laughs> but exuberantly nonetheless, um, so that I can uh, lead the team to success. But it's not just about leading. It's more. Uh, it's important to create the notion of a culture and a team where people feel like they can bring their A game to work, where they can ask questions and where they can accomplish things. They've got a sense of purpose. You know, every software organization is creating something, at least they'll believe that they're creating something awesome for their customers um, and for the value of the company, and they want to have fun doing it. So, So my responsibility is to create a group where anyone who's interested can come in and participate in creating fantastic experiences for HP customers um, and, you know, do great things for the company while having a, a fun time themselves and having a fantastic career.
2: Wow. Well, I love that. That's what a sorceress <laughs> in software, software looks like. I mean, Rebecca, you have had this amazing career in the tech space. I mean, you've worked at startup. You've been at really these, uh, huge tech organizations. When you look back over your many years, mm. what are some of the moments where you really felt that you had a career breakthrough or you really leveled up to a, a new part of your career?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, and um, I, I definitely have a couple of different moments. Uh, let's start with the fun one first. Yeah. So um, way back in the day, uh, I was a, a budding, you know, engineering manager, and uh, you know they tell you all kinds of things as a woman in tech. You got to have a mentor, and you got to have this, and you got to work really hard. And I had done all those things, but I kind of still felt like. Um, you know, I, I'm not a person who wants to wave their arms around and say, pick me, pick me, um, that's <laughs> you know, or, or I am so great. Please listen to all the things that I've accomplished. Those things make me feel uncomfortable. Um, and, and there is an element where you have to do that, but I still think it's great to be able to do that through accomplishment instead of just, you know, being a braggart. So I was asked, I, I had two things happen. I, I was at a diversity meeting and this was at some large company that, you know, might be called Microsoft. And (laughs) I was in the Windows organization and um, three awesome executives got together and had a meeting with the women to tell us that it was a great place for women. Um, And they were all senior vice presidents. Um, I knew all of them pretty well because I had been around and I was pretty senior. And uh, one of them who is A wonderful person, but really like a dude, like a man's man, likes to smoke cigars and go hunting and drink tequila. And he's like, everybody should come over and smoke cigars and shoot guns. Now you can tell that that perhaps isn't appealing to all the people that would work for him. And, uh, you know, there are certainly I don't like to smoke cigars, but sometimes I have to say it is pretty fun to shoot a gun. But, you know, it's just not what you're going to do with with work people, at least not me. So he says, uh, you know, oh, OK, they give us this big speech about how they want more women to be there and they want to feel we, they want us to feel heard and that we have these great careers. And the whole room, you know, it's a big organization. So there's a, a bunch of, room, of people in the room. The whole room is just silent. Everybody is just looking at these guys and no one is saying a word. And you can tell that they are like, come on, this is great. Open up. And everybody, I mean, we've been there for a long time. So we're like, mm. but I'm the idiot. I'm i am also kind of the resident heretic. And I'm the one who's always like, well, I'll ask the question. <laughs> so it's amazing that I have a job at all. Because I'm always like, I have a question. <laughs> so, so I said, uh, this guy repeats. And he says, well, I'll tell you what anyone here who wants to have lunch with me and, and give me, you know, more information or really have an in-depth conversation, like, you know, we'll have lunch or coffee or whatever you want. And he's like, so I'm looking for some volunteers and there's, you know, still silence across the room. And I was like, well, heck, I was like, well, I'll do it. I'll have lunch with you. And he's like, okay, great. So fast forward, we have lunch. We actually had a great conversation. Um, and one of the things I said to him was, You know, when you've got a new role in your head, oh, gosh, we need a person to do this really hard project. Um, I said, you know, tell me just, you know, don't try to think about it. Just tell me the people that come to mind. So he starts rolling out names and they were the usual suspects of people that he worked with and probably, you know, smoked cigars, drank tequila and shotguns with. Um, And (laughs) he goes on for a little while. And and I said, okay, you know, that that's great. And I said, how many of those were women? And he's like, uh. and he's like, okay, um, none. <laughs> and I was like, okay, right. And I said, so it isn't like when you were giving me the names, it was people that you were comfortable with, people that you knew, people that were in your orbit. But if you think back to the room that we were sitting in, certainly not all of those women are so incompetent that that none of them could do the job at hand. And he's like, no, you're totally right. And he said, but I, I don't really know them. I mm. said, Okay. And I said, so the next time you have a job where it's hard and you're looking for specific skills, I said, part of thinking about diversity and inclusion, we didn't actually say inclusion then, but part of thinking about a diverse workforce, um, it's a good ad, by the way, part of thinking of a diverse workforce is to cast a wider net. And if you don't know some of these people, then you ask people who do. Like I know almost all of the 150 women that were in the room um, because I do a lot of work with them and we do networking and all kinds of other things. So I will be able to tell you, you know, here's a person of this level with these skills who's really great at this and they're just waiting for their opportunity. And I said, you know, if you want. If you look at the other executives that you were on stage with, one of them is East Asian, and I bet if you asked him, he would have some overlap with your list, but then he would have a bunch of people that he naturally also networks with because he's very active in mentoring in that community, etc. And he was like, okay, okay, I got it. So fast forward a couple of weeks. And I get this phone call from this guy who is actually my senior vice president. So he's somewhere up in the chain for me. And he says, uh, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I didn't know he had my mobile number for one. And I said, well, I'm, I'm uh, getting ready to go on vacation. And he says, Oh, well, I have an offer that you can't refuse. Ooh. And I was like, because it's so good or because I can't say no. And uh, he said, (laughs) no, no. Well, Actually, probably both of those things. <laughs> and so I laughed and he offered me a job uh, leading what was uh, Windows XP SP2, which was a huge mm. release focused on security for our customers. Uh, there were a lot of security issues back then. And, you know, hackers were really targeting Microsoft. But what happens is that they're, they're targeting your customers then. And people were, you know, losing work and losing productivity and losing money, which is always a super important thing for a company. Yeah. Um so I took that job and it you know, a couple of things happened. Um maybe you're gonna ask me these, but I'll I'll give you a little preview. Uh yeah. first it gave me a couple of sponsors. I used to laugh and there were three guys that I had to work for, my direct vice president, the senior vice president, and then the president. And I called them my three bosses because they would, you know, that <laughs> That's how it kind of worked. Um, but it gave me like that was my moment. You know, this guy, Brian, sponsored me, um, if you will, because he wasn't really a mentor, but he he picked me out of the Rolodex. Yeah, and he put me into the position. Um, and then the three of them, you know, were a pain in the butt, but they were great over the course of this really hard project. Uh, and I got a lot of visibility. So instead of just doing great work. Or having a mentor who was telling me how to do better work, I did great work and people shone the light on me. There was sponsorship. So I didn't have to run around and brag because I had conned a bunch of other people into running around (laughs) and bragging for me, which is, that's way better, by the way. Other people want to talk about me as long as I don't have to listen to it, it's all good. But uh, me talking about me, you know, there I am, the software nerd. So.
2: Yeah. And I mean, Rebecca, that's such a a key thing that everyone is challenged with, right? How do I find those influencers that can sponsor and brag about me so that I don't have to do that? Mm -hmm. So so tell me in that situation, you know, how did you make it easy for those sponsors to advocate for you? Uh,
0: Well, you know, first and foremost, I was incredibly effective at my job. Um, And so, you know, who isn't going to advocate for someone who is... Uh, getting something done that seemed like mission impossible. So, so you know, you can't go in and then uh, uh, take a leave of absence. That's probably not going to work out super well. So you do have to go in and, and uh, be super effective at your job. Part of that was also uh, communicating incredibly clearly about what was happening, what the priorities of the time were, what wasn't happening, and why that was good or bad, and then anything that I needed from them in order to be more successful. Um, I stayed very, very focused on the customer and the goal at hand, because a lot of people want to randomize you and put things in. And there were a lot of people with titles that wanted to tell me what to do. And, but these guys were my three bosses and I knew what our priorities were and I knew what the goal was and I knew how to get it done. And so it it was using them as both the, you know, Validating what you're doing, keeping them informed, but also letting them do the fight, right? Like if there's another senior vice president that says you have to do this, Mm. and uh, that wasn't on the list, then I would say, okay, uh, well, uh, that's not on the priority list. But if you would like to talk to the president about that, uh, please let me know, you know, where it falls after you have that conversation. I would be I'd be happy to have another conversation. And they'd usually (laughs) just go away.
2: So. Exactly, and I love Rebecca that you talked about. Part of your work with your sponsors was not just keeping them informed, but it was was asking them for what it was that you needed to be successful. Which okay. feels like that's a challenge for a lot of us. You know, h- how did you leverage them in that way where you could actually say, "Hey, I need this" or "I need help"?
0: Yeah, it, it is hard. Um, you know, I think. Strength and a weakness, a lot of women in technology have been successful because they haven't had to ask for help. They kind of know how to get a bunch of stuff done on their own. By the time you get to a really big job, and this was a really big job, um, what you have to learn in any role, I imagine, is that it's not possible for you to do it all yourself anymore. And so what you start to think about is, what is my job and what what am I effective at? And then what is not my job and what mm. do I need them to be effective at? You know, I I wasn't going to go toe to toe with the CEO, Bill Gates, that guy. <laughs> I wasn't going to go toe to toe with him on some of the things that he wanted to do that I didn't think we could get done in that time frame. And so I would give the VP, the SVP and the president, I would give them the data. I would let them fight that fight because it just wasn't, you know, I could say it, but who was I? So it was just more <laughs> effective if they said it.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So in an organization, when you get senior, one of my responsibilities is to be a sponsor and to find sponsors for oh, people yeah. in the organization. It's almost not possible for, for some, it can happen, but it's very hard, especially for um, you know a woman or a person of color uh, or someone who's just different from the organization to look up To the president and be like, can you be my sponsor? Most people don't know what that what that means. It's different to say, can you mentor me? Because that's someone who's usually close in skills, but a sponsor is a different thing. So it often has to come from the top down.
2: What's another one of those big career breakthroughs for you?
0: Fit matters. So when I'm mentoring someone, I talk about how fit matters and and fit can mean a bunch of different things. Certainly, you have to have the skills to do the job that you've been asked to do. So if you don't, that's going to be a tough one. But you also have to um, be excited and at least have some overlap in what I think of as core values. What are my core values? What are the organization's core values? You know, my core values are around respect and doing great things for customers and having fun and being able to question the system. And so if I went to an organization that was, uh, you know, disrespectful to their employees, that d- didn't care about customers and, you know, focus on other things. You know, I ultimately think profit comes from focusing on customers, but maybe there's a different way to do it in some places. Yeah. You know, so if they focused on that, that's not a great fit for me culturally. Yeah. Um, And so I, I didn't I, it took me a while to learn that. Uh, and then part of that is also do you fit with your manager? Can you have you don't have to like everyone. But you have to be able to trust them well enough. And so one of my big career, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a breakthrough, but learning that allowed me to have some breakthroughs (laughs) was to work for someone who was uh, who had very, very different core values than me and who also was uh, not to say it mildly, not invested in my success. And in fact, you could go so far as to say he was invested in my in my not success, invested in my failure. Um, Yes, it was a very, there's some, if you go out onto probably still somewhere on LinkedIn, I, I write the story of uh, what I call working for Satan. And that is (laughs) a more detailed version of this. And what I, what I learned from that and what I tell people later is, you know, Satan can come in many different forms. The person can be male and f- or female. It can be someone that you really like in a personal setting, but then who ends up being a terrible manager for you um, yeah. for, for whatever reason. But Satan is typically the person that makes you feel, you, you go from feeling like a competent person who can do the job and who was qualified to take the job that they were, you know, offered to a person who is incompetent who can't do their job, everything is wrong, and your own self-esteem just, you know, plummets. And and the worse you feel about yourself, the less likely you are to go in and bring your A game. That's true just, you know, in real life and then in work life and everywhere else. And so, um, I had to learn the hard way. You know, my parents had said, you can work with anyone. No, actually, you cannot work with anyone. (laughs) Um, you, uh, You can work with most people, and you do have to be thoughtful about people who have different points of view. But if there's someone with whom you're truly not a fit, you should GTFO. (laughs)
2: <laughs> exactly. So so tell me, what was that moment when you were, oh. quote unquote, working for Satan that you realized, I, I, I got to get out? This is not a fit. This is not <laughs> helping me get where I want to be.
0: You know, I knew that I was in trouble because I would have these regular, one, almost daily one-on-ones where he would say, and we would go through things and then he would say things, uh, he would tell me all the reasons I was wrong, even though I was validating with other people that I was doing things right. But one day he looks at me and he says, um, "You know, you, you probably feel like you're pretty smart." And his goal in these was to make me cry, and I don't like crying in general, and I certainly don't like crying in front of people. And as a woman, you really don't want to cry in the workplace, especially yeah. not in a workplace full of men. So, but his goal in these one-on-ones was not to help me at all. Later, I figured this out, but to make me cry because that was then he was winning. I was that's that's bad. If you're in that situation, by the way, don't wait for the epiphany. (laughs) Really hit the road, whoever you are out there, hit the road. If your boss kind of gets excited by making you cry, you should, you should find another boss. It's a terrible thing. Um, You know, there's, there's crazy people out there. And um, so, you know, he sat down and, and, you know, he looked so kind and he said, uh, I bet that, um, you know, you feel like you're pretty smart. And I was like, Inside, I was all the alarm bells are ringing. Bing, 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 bing. Oh, no, run, run. But you can't, right? I'm sitting there, uh, you know, folded hands, the whole thing. And I said, well, sure. And he said, you were probably one of the smart kids in, uh, you know, your, in school. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you probably didn't have to work that hard, at least through high school, to get good grades. Uh-huh. And every question that he asked, my heart would beat faster. And I I just, like, I really did want to run away, but I was like, I, I can't, there's nowhere yeah. to run. So, and then he said, uh, and then, you know, you got to college and you did well and you got hired on by Microsoft and Microsoft, um, you know, only hires smart people. And at this point I'm not even nodding anymore. I'm just waiting for the ax to fall. And uh, he looks at me for a while and finally he says, so I bet it's really hard to be the dumbest of the smart people. Wow. And I was like, whatever I thought he was going to say, I was totally unprepared for that.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and of course, like, I'm sure, I mean, that must have been a, that must have been a real win for him because my, I'm sure my face just crumpled and I immediately like, I mean, I was just destroyed. Who would say that? Yeah. Even if it was true, by the way, you know, I don't think I'm the smartest of the smart, but I, I don't know that I'm all the way at the bottom. I, I I do okay. So um so I had a chance after that to I knew things were really bad. So I did a couple of things. I, in a moment of self-preservation, I went to a previous manager and I said, I this is super bad. I have to get out of there. Um and do you have anything that I could come back and do? You know that I'm competent. Um, and I've taken a bit of a blow, but I, I promise I'll work hard and not disappoint you. And he said, yes, yeah. so I had secured something, thank goodness. And then I got a sneak preview of my review and, um, I cried. It was nighttime and I was working, you know, 12, 15 hour days to try to be a good employee. And so I took it to my office and I read it, closed my door, sat with my back against the door so that even the guy vacuuming couldn't come in. And I cried. I cried for an hour, at least. And not just like t- tears, but like full on, just distraught, sobbing. Yeah. Then I got my stuff together, got my got my shit together, stopped crying. And I thought, OK, what am I going to do? How do I how do I rescue myself? And I think that that was exact. I, I wasn't even thinking about like, how am I going to have a great career now? I'm just like, how do I get yeah. out of here? Uh, with some part of me intact. So did the job thing. And then the next day was my review. And I decided I was going to do something different. I, I was like, okay, mm. Rebecca, there's no salvaging of this. Um, and so you can't be disrespectful, which I, I try even if I don't like you, I try not to be disrespectful. Um, so, But how are you going to change the, the power dynamic? So I reconfigured my office because the other thing he liked to do was come in and stand behind me and give me a shoulder rub, which... I'm not really a huggy person. And that was, that was a little, that was a little close. Yeah. A little creepy. Yeah. And so, um, I don't think he only did it to me, but I still didn't like it. So, um, so I, I changed my office around so that my desk instead of being against a particular wall was, uh, create a divide. And you had to work really hard to get, it wasn't a very big <laughs> office. You had to work very hard to get, it was, it was going to be awkward if he wanted to come through that little channel that barely i could get through to come around to my desk so um so i set it up that way so he comes bouncing in the next day and he's like hi you ready for your review and i and he's holding in his hand and uh, i said yeah sure why don't you um uh leave it here i'm just going to finish up what i'm doing why don't you leave it here and um i'll read it and then i'll come to your office when i'm finished And so already this is different. My office is different. And what he'd like to do was give you the review because other people suffered through this as well, and then sit there and watch you read it. Right. And I, you know, I had already done that. So, um, so he left, he was surprised, but what are you going to say? No, I have to watch you read this. No, he wasn't going to say that. So he's like, oh, okay. So now he's back on his heels, small win, goes back to his office. And then I went and, um, uh gave you know sat down and and he said so what did you think and i said well i think fundamentally we have a really different understanding of the work that i do and Mm. he said is that all and i said well yeah i don't agree with your assessment at all and i could spend a lot of time you know point for point telling you why i think it is incorrect with data from other people in the group including the other manager in the group but i don't think that's productive so um so I'm I'm taking another job, and he was super surprised, wow. uh, and it was really empowering for me. But it was really hard, you know, when you when you're squished into a little bug, yeah. You know, mustering the energy to then stand up for yourself is really difficult. But I did it, and I was proud of myself, and I went and took the job and did well, and and went on to have a, a pretty good career. But I will tell you that the residual from that is I. St- still hate writing my performance reviews. (laughs) What I try to do from that now as a, you know, much more healed person is um, I try to be really clear with people about what I think of their performance or uh, the different things that are going on. Um, You know, I always try to find things that they're doing well. And then if we're working through a performance problem, I just try to be super clear about what the expectations are, how I can help them. Who who else might be able to help them? Um, Because you have to imagine that the people around you are not, uh, you know, ragingly incompetent. um, And sometimes they just end up in the wrong place. And so, you know, having a difficult conversation with someone is hard. But if you can be respectful and, and say, look, I know you're smart. You know you're smart. But maybe this isn't the right job for you. Let's talk about what what is the right job for you and where you can go and be a superhero and feel great about what you're doing. Cause that's yeah. what everybody should have. Yeah. So there you go.
2: So I love that. Let's talk a little bit about your professional brand. Give oh. me three words that describe <laughs> Rebecca Norlander.
0: Um, authentic. This is my first one. Mm. Um risk taker.
2: Ooh, I love that
0: one. And hmm. I'll say resident heretic.
2: Say more, say more <laughs> about being a resident heretic.
0: So, um, I am by nature a super loyal person and if I'm working for a person or for a company, I I'm, you know, I'm I'm in. I'm not like one of those I've got one eyeball somewhere else looking at something else. But I do like to question. I mm. want Whether it's the company or the team or the product or, you know, whatever the focus is at the moment, I want it to be the best that it can be. And, yes, I was one of those annoying children that was like, why? Why does it work that way? Why do I have to do it that way? That doesn't make any sense. I know it's a red light, but there's no cars anywhere on the planet. Why should I stop? Right. So so I I bring that to work. You know, you have to learn to do it in a productive way. I'm sure I irritated my parents to no end. Um, so in the workplace, you have to do it in a, uh, a productive way and in a way that brings people with you. I can't say I was always very good at that part, um, but uh, but it's kind of fun. And most people don't want to do it um, or are uncomfortable doing it. And so if it's one of the things that you like to do, then how do you find an organization you know, talk about different types of diversity. How do you find an organization that that needs that element from yeah. you?
2: Yeah, yeah. And you said authentic. So mm-hmm. for you, what does authenticity look like? Or or Rebecca is authentically what?
0: Um, I'm I'm very much what you see is what you get. I believe that no matter who you are in the organization, what level you are, if you're full time, if you're contingent staff, if you're doesn't make any, it doesn't make any difference to me. I think everyone should be, you know, looked in the eye and treated with respect, um, no matter what the situation is. And I, I try really hard to do that. And then for my team, um, you know, they have expectations of me and, uh, when I don't know an answer or when I don't meet expectations, I, I've, you know, I fess up to it. And I do that for two reasons. Um, First, everyone makes mistakes, including myself. And so, you know, saying, oh, gee whiz, I didn't do that. I didn't do that the best way I could have, or even, oh, wow, I really screwed that up. Um, That serves two purposes. It lets everyone know that that's going to happen. Right. And I obviously haven't Uh, been kicked off the island or, or, you know, (laughs) died of shame. So I just say, oh, gosh, you know, that didn't how that didn't go well at all. So and then I say, how can you know, here's how I think I could do a better job in the future. Here's what I learned from that situation. And here's what my go forward plan is. And so when you do that, you know, it humanizes you to your team. But it also shows them that it's okay when they go through the same thing. And we can't have an excellent organization focused on solving great problems for our customers if we don't have that level of um, certainly authenticity and humility to be able to say, our customers hated that. Like what how did we get it so wrong? <laughs> or, you know, uh, our customers love that, or you know, we missed the date because there's all different kinds of things that you can that you can say. No, that, that doesn't mean I say, you know, I'm sorry and I'm wrong all the time because um, I work hard and, and I'm not sorry or wrong a lot of the time. Um, and so and I and I say that, too, uh, you know, we've joked a little bit about how it's easier for me to let other people brag for me. But at the end of the day, I have had um, to learn as a leader that people look to you. And so, mm. you know, if you've done something or if the team has done something that you're proud of saying that you know, and not blinking or blushing or saying that it's really all on someone else, like just just being humble, but also proud of your accomplishment or someone else's accomplishment um, is is a big deal. It's a big part of that authenticity. And the final thing I'll say is something my grandmother taught me. Um, And I think this is especially hard for women. When someone tells you that you do something well, uh, there's a tendency to want to say, oh, no, You know, I do. Oh, no, not really. Um, And either you're begging for more compliments, which is just unattractive, um, (laughs) or you're being kind of like mm, just overly, um, overly humble. Mm. When somebody goes, you know, what I learned, what my grandmother said to me was, if someone goes out of their way to pay you a compliment, whether it's, you look great today, or that was a really impressive speech, or wow, I love this thing that you do, your biggest responsibility is to respect them by saying, why, thank you. Even if on the intern inside, you're like, oh my god, I can't, everybody's looking at me, it's too hard. So, but on the outside, like, if you if you blow it off, you're also blowing them off. Right. So she yeah. said, don't, don't do that. Like, re- even if you don't agree with them, you just look at them, you look at them in the eye and you say, well, thank you. You'd also don't have to follow it on with, Oh, you too. Cause that might not be genuine. <laughs> so you just, you just learn to, to smile and say, thank you. I really appreciate that. And then zip it up. Wait.
2: <laughs> now, Rebecca, talk to me about, this brand being authentic, a risk taker, resident heretic. (laughs) How has that evolved over time for you, especially as you've moved into that executive leadership CEOs type of role?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I certainly wouldn't have said that that was my brand when I started. Um, You know, I think when we start our careers, were, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is just me. I was so excited to have a great job. You know, I didn't feel like, oh, I don't deserve it. But I was like, wow, this is great. (laughs) And your focus is on, you know, doing a great job, you know, meeting and exceeding expectations, learning the things that you have to learn to be a great employee, understanding what it is to be an employee. And so I think for the first part of my career, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to write better code because that's what I did or how to, mm. you know, debug things really well or how to be excellent at being a software design engineer. You know, over the course of my career, you start to sort through things that you um, that you like and that you don't like and that you're mm-hmm. good at and then that you're less good at or even things that you're good at but you hate doing. Um, and so for me... <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think that some of the authenticity, like I just, I, I, I can't not answer quote. I can't not say something if I think something is wrong and I can't not ask questions. So, you know, it's almost friends of mine when I was in college used to kind of tease me, you know, we'd be hanging out, having a party or whatever. And they'd, they'd be like, ask her a question, any question doesn't really matter. She's going to try to answer it. And it wasn't that I said, I know the answer. It's that if you ask me something, I'm like, oh, that's a good question. Well, I don't really know, but here's how I think about it. Like it's, I'm just so dorky. So I had to turn that into something that was an advantage because I can't beat it out of myself. So that that part of me was uh, certainly kind of that level of authenticity was certainly a thread. But I think as I um, got further, especially as I had some of those crushing situations in the workplace or made mistakes and recovered from them. Um, you know, because certainly working for Satan wasn't my only stupid thing that I did um, or or mistake that I made. Um, so I just, you know, I learned from my mistakes and I, I gravitated towards a role uh, that felt good to me. So for my brand in terms of You know, asking, being the resident heretic or being more of a risk taker because I had had big blow ups, failures even, and then recovered. I was like, oh, you know, one of the things I used to say when I'd give a career talk is, um, you know, we're not brain surgeons. We're just writing code. Right. So if if you mess up, like no one's going to die. So so what's you know, ask yourself, what is the worst that can happen? And the worst that can happen is probably that, well, you might be embarrassed. That's not that bad. We're all embarrassed most of the time anyway. Um, you might get fired. That's pretty bad. But, you know, we're smart people, so we can go get yeah. another job. So, uh, so I always try to say to myself, what's the worst that happened? So that has <coughs> grown the risk part uh, for me. And then um, what I realized over time as I started saying things out loud or asking those questions, people would come to me and say, oh, thank God you asked that. I had no idea oh, what they yeah. were talking about. So I got a lot of positive reinforcement for being kind of the the productive resident heretic. And so, and I, I, at some level, I understand that some of those things are hard for people. And since it was less hard for me, I thought, hey, I'm not going to be, I'm not Einstein. I'm not going to be the smartest person in the room. I'm not going to you know, be the person that has the highest IQ. I'm, there's lots of things I'm not going to do. Yeah. And so let's let's hone the things that I am probably going to do anyway. And then that seem to be hard for other people to do. Yeah. So that's how I got there.
2: Yeah. So, Rebecca, I love this whole notion of how you've sort of evolved that over time through sort of failures and successes. Was there ever a time that one of the mentors or the great sponsors you were working with gave you some feedback around you know, how some of those things either worked or didn't work for you that caused you to pause or maybe alter how you show up in that way?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Multiple times. So I talked about, you know, being a resident heretic, I talked about doing that in a positive and respectful way. Um, And so I got that feedback a lot. Well, I got a couple different interesting pieces of feedback. One piece of feedback that I've got incredibly consistently is that I'm intimidating. And I find mm. this hilarious because, well, I'm not intimidated by myself, um, <laughs> but I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, coming in at five foot two and, and not, you know, I'm not going to tell you how much I weigh, but not that much. And so it's not like I'm a huge person. And so I always thought, okay, why am I intimidating? But some of that, the questioning and the resident heretic, if you do it at the wrong time, Or without thinking about how your question or your comments are going to make other people feel, Um, it it can either make people feel attacked or, you know, I'm, I'm quick on my feet, quick, you know, quick to be able to respond. And that's not true of everyone. So so, how do you create the right space? I got a lot of feedback about that.
2: So, we've been talking all about your brand. Let's just do some some quick fire fun questions. <laughs> oh no! Wh- what what brand are you obsessed with as a consumer? <sighs> what can't you live without?
0: My consistent it would either my consistent product would probably be in the Prada family.
2: Ooh, and yeah. and why why are you obsessed with Prada?
0: I think almost everything that I have does it, it either is incredibly functional, but still slightly attractive. You can get functional and not attractive at all um, to, you know, some of their stuff is um, practical, but edgy. And I like mm-hmm. to be, you know, I, I can't show up in a ball gown or something like I have to be comfortable and Prada typically has clothing that is comfortable and wearable, but also, Different, and I like yeah. to be just a little bit, you know, different in my fashion.
2: Yeah. Now I know, Rebecca, you are a car person. So if you were a car, if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be?
0: The Audi RS Four. And tell
2: me about that Audi. If you were that Audi, why would you be that Audi, or why are you in love with that Audi? Oh,
0: um, because it's kind of a stealth rocket. So mm. I think that I love it, and and I I guess I. I resemble these remarks. Um, people look at that car and they underestimate it. Uh, you know, it's a four-door sedan and yeah, it looks pretty nice. And um, But, you know, especially at the time, it has a giant engine. It makes beautiful car noises, goes really fast, and the handling is superb. Right? And that's kind of like, I, I kind of feel that way about myself. Like I show up yeah. and people are like, people have a judgment. You know, I show up in my somewhat edgy outfit or not, depending on the day, and they will think, oh, OK, here's this woman and, you know, whatever. And so so then if I can be that surprise, if I can if I can, you know, um, bring forth some of my my brand elements in a way that is um, surprising and positive, I, that's that's kind of why I love the Audi. And and that's kind of how I feel about, you know, the way I roll myself.
2: Yeah. And now, Rebecca, just as a final thought here, what's the best career advice that you would like to pass on to our
0: listeners? I think that there are two things. I know I'm supposed to pick one, but, you know, I always break the rules. So one (laughs) is, um, you know, when you're facing something that's scary, uh, really asking yourself, what's the worst that can happen? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's not as bad as it feels, right? Yeah. And then the other thing that I would say is that fit matters. You have to be in a job that you love. Well, at least in the tech industry, for the most, we are mostly lucky enough to be in an area that we enjoy, and so it is possible then to find a group that you click with, an area that you are that you can't wait to think about again the next day. Uh, Hopefully, a management chain or you know management. Suite that you enjoy because it might not be your direct manager that you love, but maybe you like your manager's manager. And yes, I do really enjoy my current manager. So um, <laughs> you know. So what's the worst that can happen? And fit matters, right? Because those are the yeah. things that let you do the best you.
2: Well, Rebecca Norlander, thank you for being <laughs> our software sorceress today and sharing all of your amazing uh, insights.
0: Thank you, Jason. It was so fun. It was great to speak with
2: you. Great connecting. And we'll be back in just a couple of moments with my final thoughts.
1: Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success you are a top performer and the lead with your brand career breakthrough mentoring program is what you need to get you there visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how
2: Wow, what an amazing conversation with Rebecca. I will certainly not ever forget working for Satan. But you know, one of the big nuggets that I really took away from Rebecca was this whole notion of being authentic and true to yourself, but knowing when you need to turn up and down the volume on your attributes. You know, she really spent time thinking about how being a resident heretic has really been a defining part of her brand and One of her calling cards for why people not only want her to be on their team, but lead teams. And she cautions to make sure that she's using those strengths and superpowers. Wisely, right? When is it that she's going to turn up the volume there because it's going to help in that situation and be successful? And when are times that she needs to choose her battle or perhaps ratchet it down to make sure that she can be an effective leader and influencer? Well, that's our show for today. If you loved our conversation with Rebecca Norlander, make sure that you're following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, and we'll deliver to you a brand new show with another fabulous guest talking about their brand every single Tuesday. Also, it's Women's History Month, so check out our celebration of amazing business leaders who just happen to be women at leadwithyourbrand.com women. Make sure to follow me on all social media platforms I'm at Jason Patria and catch all of my tips and tools for how you can lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough on LinkedIn most importantly remember in your career don't be a boring old commodity like coffee make sure you're a super premium brand like Starbucks
1: You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.